and welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. Hi, and I'm Greg Roche. In this episode, we'll be discussing the second of our top 10 traits for world-class customer experience. This one is about perception is reality, or as my grandma would sometimes say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, or even as she sometimes said, one man's meat is another man's poison. She never was a very good cook. <laughs> Sorry, Grandma. Um, so, perception is reality. Fact or fiction? Uh, well, absolutely fact, I think, really. I mean, it, the key for me, um, and we, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, probably, is, is one of the biggest wastes of time that, that you ever uh, meet as a customer experience research kind of consultant and agency is clients who get stuck in a debate about the customer's wrong or the customer's right or we're recording this wrong or we're recording it right. And, and it's really frustrating because you just want to sort of knock heads together and scream at them and say, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Whether it's wrong or <laughs> it's right. Um, you have to accept that the customer believes what they believe. And as we saw in, in the chapter three of the book, how what they believe is what drives their behavior and that's what makes you money or costs you money and that's what they're telling their friends that's what they're, they're telling people down the pub that's what you need to mm. engage with it's really in interesting to understand why they believe mm. that what signals have you sent what have they seen what have they experienced what have they felt mm. that makes them answer like that because they're probably not just making up stuff and deciding to lie that will be their true feeling absolutely and I think when I was making my notes for, for this conversation one of the things I wrote down which I was quite pleased with um, was I, I think the key is is not resignations it's not about saying oh we, we accept the customer thinks what they think even though it's not true we just have to live with that it's not about acceptance it's about digging into it it's about investigation to find out what the problem is um, and I think you know, to give you a quick example of that, something that, that I've seen a couple of times with, with business to business manufacturing clients is there'll be an issue around deliveries. Yeah. And the logistics director or manager, or whatever, will stand up in the board and say, well, this, this is just not true. We, you know, we track our delivery performance. We know that 99.9% .9 of our <laughs> deliveries are on time in full. Customers are wrong. Uh, so I don't trust this survey. And we'll spend ages doing the whole perception is reality thing. This is what customers believe. After you know, one bad incident, will stick in their mind for a long time. Debate, debate, debate. What's interesting, and a couple of times when, you, when we have done some digging, what you'll find is that, yes, a delivery was on time. You know, the, the, the driver drops it off onto a goods yard that technically belongs to the client, and someone, somewhere, we don't quite know who, but someone signed a PDA, so it was delivered <laughs> on time. But the person who cares about that delivery doesn't know it's there. And three days later, wandering around a goods yard, they find it in the corner and it's a bit battered and it's not quite clear what, what is in it and what isn't in it. And they have to unwrap the whole thing and unbox the boxes that haven't quite been packed properly. And that's an annoying experience. How do they feel about it? They feel that delivery wasn't on time. Was it full? I don't know, but it was irritating. So they legitimately believe that that delivery wasn't on time and wasn't in full, even though technically, yes, it was on some property that belongs to your organisation. That's an example of the semantics which just caused distraction. It's not wowing the customer. It's not giving the customer the experience they want. Mm. It's not giving the customer the experience that supplier 
mm. once when they see it through the lens of the customer. And the crucial thing for me is it's not about saying we're right and the customer's wrong. It's not about saying the customer's right and we're wrong. It's about saying we're measuring different things. And by digging into that, it unlocks opportunities for improvement. So that, that scenario I just sketched with the deliveries and you know, lost in some corner of a goods yard, as soon as I describe that situation, you can think of way, things to address that. Absolutely. You know, we can think about doing an Amazon style email to say, your delivery has now been delivered to this place and signed for by this person, here's the signature. All sorts of things to close the loop, to communicate, which always comes down to communication, <laughs> and to make sure the customer feels better about it. And I think not just feels better, but brings the, the supplier and the customer closer together because they see the world the same. They have the same understanding. They're using the same criteria, the same view of success. Mm. You know, and you're starting to get into the co-creation area there of, you know, this is why it's powerful. We're creating this together. Great. I really wanted that delivery. I'm really glad you let it let me know. I was somewhere else. I'll go and get it now. Thanks very much. That could have been a problem mm. that you've helped prevent. Yeah, this company's actually quite proactive. Nah, they're just, you know, telling you what they've done in the way you want it and seeing seeing it from, from the bigger point of view. Um, so perception is, is, is reality, and, and I know um, that because like the trains are always late going down to London, they're always late, Stephen, always. Well, it felt like it last weekend when it was delayed three hours when the lightning struck the track. So in reality, sort of how often are they late? Well, I think always. But if I measured it and I went through my diary, which I'm not going to do, and if I really did a mathematic calculation, which I'm not going to do, it probably is guessing nine times out of ten they're on time. So why don't I, you know, why as a human do I think they're always late? Why am I giving that 10% so much more than the 90%? Yeah, and it's certainly, there is truth in, in the idea that, you know, negative things stick in the mind a lot more. I mean, there's, um, you know, I suppose it's a variant of the peak end rule, which is something that, that comes up a lot in, in psychology and behavioural economics. Uh, something I'll talk about more in, in, in a little bit. But yeah, negative things have more sort of salience in our memory, um, and that's what tends to drive the way we feel about things and what we tell people about things. Um, and that's why it can be so annoying as a customer when you see a poster on the platform that says our punctuality performance is 98.5%, uh, when it certainly doesn't feel like it. Um, and when they use a slightly odd definition of punctuality, which includes up to five minutes late, which <laughs> I've never really got my head wrapped. It, it makes the figures look good as if they're trying to convince someone that it's better than it is, one would possibly suspect. But yeah, I, th I think um, what, you're, what you're probably about to tell us is that the train company should do something to affect our, our memory and what we think about. Well, I think it's coming back to this common ground of aligning perception and reality. And it all comes down to communication. It, it, it really does. We have the pleasure of flying to Dublin um, a lot from Manchester Airport. Um, and we often fly with Ryanair, who claim to be Europe's most on-time prompt airline. And they do that trick of, um, of sort of, um, you know, over-promising, you know, under-delivering in terms of saying it takes 45 minutes to fly. It doesn't. It takes 30 minutes. But what they do do, and, um, and I was on a Ryanair flight the, to somewhere else, and I was still glad to see that they did this, otherwise this makes this story a little bit, <laughs> a bit trite, um, was when they land at the airport, they play a fanfare saying...
Thank you for flying Ryanair. Last year, over 90% of our flights arrived on time. We hope you enjoyed yours and we look forward to welcoming you on board again soon. Ryanair, low fares, made simple. taking the responsibility for managing everyone's perception in that plane. They're reinforcing the reality. They're not relying on me saying to you, well, what time was it due in? Is that early or late? I don't know. They're, they're managing that. And we see in this, these top 10 traits, the people who are at the top of that league table are really good for saying, we can affect perception. And that's a trick the train companies are missing out. They could be playing a fanfare when the train arrives on time, or perhaps within five minutes, if that's their definition, <laughs> to try and reinforce reality, you know, against sort of perception. Yeah, and I think that's, in a way, I was going to say a crude example, it's certainly a very um, obvious example of trying to manipulate perceptions directly. I think there are more kind of subtle ways to... to directly address perception and one of my favorite examples of this is from Gerald Zaltman's book Understanding Customers yeah and in that he talks about the sort of re-engineering of you know what used to be called the total customer experience in an outpatient waiting room in a, in a university hospital I think it was University of Maryland Hospital but don't quote me on that um, and one of the many many things they did was to take the ticking clock off the wall um, <laughs> And Tick. if any of us have sat in a waiting Tick. room, you, you, can, you can feel Tick. how effective that would be. And that it, isn't, it, it sort of feels like cheating, uh, but I don't believe it is because, because what you're doing is directly addressing the quality of the experience of waiting. So you, you can't address the quantity of the wait, but you can address the quality of the wait. And that is, you know, legitimately making customers feel better about it. So it is improving the customer experience. Um, there's definitely a story that you've told me about um, waiting times on telephones, comparing music to non-music, and then comparing that to the reality of how long you were left holding on, and the music, people felt it was shorter than the people who didn't have music. Even if they hate the music. <laughs> <laughs> Which we often do. And nowadays as well, you see a lot of organisations even have that thing, we shall call you back. Mm. Which is just fab. And that starts establishing benchmarks across industries. People often want to just benchmark sectorally. That would be a really good example of saying, hold on, when I found that company, they do that. Why can't mm. you do that? It doesn't matter. It's a different sector. The only difference is they care about me more than you do as a customer. I think the other thing to say about the, this kind of idea of, of addressing the experience directly rather than, than your sort of performance, what you, you technically do, um, is that in order to understand the opportunities for doing that, you have to learn to think in terms of fundamental psychological needs. So on their customer survey, in the research, customers will always talk about the length of the wait, um, how long it takes, you know, lead times in a B2B yeah. environment, or how long you're waiting in the waiting room. It takes, again, a bit of mental judo. It, it takes that kind of grounding in psychology or behavioral economics to learn that what manifests as a complaint about the length of the wait may well be what is really about the quality of the wait. And the best way to address that may not be by making the wait shorter. It may be by making it more pleasant. Yeah. Um, so that might be taking away cues like a ticking clock. It might be about giving them more information. So your delivery is on its way. Your delivery is just is with the courier. Your delivery is, you know, 
two hours away, your delivery's been delivered, that kind of Amazon over-communication to manage how it feels while you're waiting for your delivery to arrive. It reminds me of mirrors in lifts and um, a conference I was at where someone was saying about um, it was an internal facilities management, people weren't happy with the lifts, it took too long to get up two floors and all a bit awkward sort of stood in a lift in the English uncomfortable silence and they're saying well how do we address this well you know we can't put in new lifts without spending a lot of money you know we just can't do that and then they came up with the idea of why don't we make the lifts a fun interesting quality place mm. and actually we could have some posters in there we could have a little tv in there we could have mirrors so you can check how your hair looks in, in the morning, unless you're Stephen and I. Shiny. <laughs> <laughs> but it's about making the, the, the lift time then feels a more pleasant experience. Sorry, the experience feels more pleasant. The time will be exactly the same. And I thought that's, that's starting to think like a customer. Mm. And at a slight tangent, it, for those of you that do customer surveys and when you start asking customers about, you know, how, you know was a delivery late? or did we let you down on something? I found a really good question after that is to say, and what was the impact of that? Because that gets into what happened as a result. And when you start seeing the impact, you can start making decisions, actually, well, do you know what, well, that's something and nothing, it wasn't really an impact, or that's actually quite severe. And you start thinking of, you know, it, you know, think of the world of donors. If something is late for an operation, that impact matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and again, in a lot of B two B markets, that's why delivery is is such a big deal. It's not not because I, I, I want this delivery for the sake of having it. It's because if I don't get this delivery, my entire production line shuts down, and it's, it's costing expensive. me millions of pounds an hour. Absolutely. So, so yeah, it, there's, there's a good reason that that people care about that. Yeah. I think uh, just one sort of final point I wanted to make on, I think I may have hammered this a little bit much, but, but the key takeaway from perception is reality to me, is it's, it, it isn't about what's true, it isn't about what customers say, it's about understanding the psychology of why they feel how they feel. And I think in order to do that well, you have to, what it opens up, if you do do it well, is the idea that nothing is non-controllable. You sometimes see this idea with satisfaction service, oh, we can't do anything about that, we can't do anything about that. If you accept that you're, you're addressing the psychology of the experience, everything is controllable, everything is addressable, and that's, that's quite exciting. Um, and it, for example, means that if you take, I, I mentioned the peak end rule before. Yeah. This is the yeah. idea that, that you know, what's memorable is you know, peak experiences, good, good and particularly bad, and also experiences, well, the things that happen towards the end of an experience. And if we think about the average customer journey, that means we should be designing in really good, complete finishes at the end of the journey to sort of package it up and say, here was a great experience, take it away and remember it as a good thing. How many customer journeys kind of whimper out at the end? This is good, I've never thought of that before. So it's like having a, the finale at the end of the show or the scariest ride or the scariest drop um, you know, on the fairground ride at the end because the, they want you going off going, wow, mm. that's interesting, yeah, because a lot of us, you know, we've delivered what it is, okay, I best be moving on, might send you an invoice, hopefully, see you again, doodle pip. <laughs> <laughs>
toodle pip, absolutely. And the last thing you want is a toodle pip at the end of your customer journey. <laughs> okay, well, that's probably enough on perception is reality. Um, thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at tlfresearch.com.